0: Our scripture reading this morning is from Isaiah chapter 40, I'm sorry, 53. Uh, Probably a familiar text to most of us. Isaiah 53, verses 1 through 6. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant, We've turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. We've uh, been experiencing uh, how changeable things are lately how uh, things can go from great to horrible in just a few minutes. You know, this can happen on a personal level as well. Accidents happen. We, we can even lose someone quite suddenly and unexpectedly. My own father died in, a, in an accident. And he was not a lot older than I am now, which is not old. Things can change. Things can change before we're ready. I mean, six months ago, most of us had not even heard of this little thing, this very little thing called the coronavirus. And you know, now today, it is having a major impact in the life of every human being on this planet. One way or another, right or wrong, people are sort of guessing at figuring out how to deal with it, or other people are questioning all the guesses. <laughs> uh, other, yeah, aren't we all? Because it came upon us quite suddenly. We don't know. Things happen. It's like the whole wide world suddenly had a big accident. Things change quite rapidly. One of the things we can lose track of in the book of John is how rapidly things are happening. And that's why I use that illustration. We, several weeks ago, talked about the triumphal entry of Christ on, well, we didn't talk about it on Palm Sunday because we hadn't gotten there yet, but several weeks ago, the beginning of this chapter that we're in now. And we're going week by week, a few verses at a time. So it could seem like uh, there's a good deal of time that's passing. But I want you to think about this from the perspective of those disciples that are the eyewitnesses, the, the John himself, the writer of this text. And of course, at this point in the story, half of the book of John is taken up getting us to the point <laughs> of, you know, a week or two before the death, resurrection, Of Christ. So he takes half the time to get us that, and the rest is all happening in a period of a few weeks. Most of it is happening in the period of a week. In fact, when we get to the next chapter, we're going to spend several chapters one night one night. It's called the Upper Room Discourse, and it's Jesus' last teaching to his faithful disciples before he is arrested and executed. So I just want you to think, and let's think about the emotion that's going on. We could think about this from the perspective of Christ, right? Because he knows what's coming. He's talking about it. He's announcing it. But let's start that Sunday morning. Well, we don't really know if it was in the morning. When Jesus comes riding into town, and even the little children are waving their palms, putting their jackets down on the ground for the donkey he's riding to walk on. And... Shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hallelujah, our Messiah is in town. He's coming, He's coming. And everything in the life of Christ and the nation has led to this fame, and of course, the signs Jesus has done, and of course, that. Great sign raising Lazarus. Like beyond, beyond. Nobody since Elijah has done that. Anyway, so people are, hallelujah, hallelujah. We're finally going to cast off Rome. God's going to vindicate Israel. We're going to be the righteous chosen people of God in the world like we think. And Jesus says, well, you know, unless a seed falls into the ground and dies, Jesus started talking about how he's going to die. Well, that's a pretty big letdown. And I just want you to think, in four days, four days. So let's imagine, today is Palm Sunday, and we are all shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. On Friday, we will all be shouting, crucify him, crucify him. Crucify. Think of the height and the depth of that in very short time span. You do not want to go into politics because people are crazy. And they can shift from he's our guy, he's our guy, he's our guy, to that guy should be put in prison, or that guy should be killed, or get rid of that guy in two heartbeats. Things change very fast. Because the human heart is very changeable. Our expectations, our emotions, our disappointments or surprises can change our whole mindset very quickly now I've just said all that to get us into the context of what's happening in John chapter 12 and last time we noticed that Jesus said now is the judgment and when the Son of Man is lifted up I will draw all people to myself And the people are like, what do you mean lift it up? The Messiah can't die? And they're basing their opinion in part from reading the book of Isaiah. And Jesus says, look, you've got the light a little while longer, a little while longer. And when he says a little while, he means it like today, Because he says, look, trust the light while you have the light, so the darkness won't overtake you. You will not be stuck in darkness, because you are in darkness, and if you don't recognize the light, when it shows up, before it departs, you'll remain in darkness. He's going to say again something like that in the text we're looking at today. Trust the light while you have the light. And then what did he do? He went away and hid himself. So when he said, you have it a little longer, he meant very little longer. And he encourages them to trust him while the opportunity is present. And when he said these things, he departed and hid himself from them though he had done so many signs before them, they did not believe in him. He says, look, believe in the light while the light's here, because, or, or you'll be stuck in darkness. And they don't. they don't then john well i find it frustrating because it's very hard to explain and as a preacher you know i'm supposed to be able to explain this stuff to you one of the theological strains in the book of John is a strain that we could call predestinarian. You don't believe because you're not my sheep. What a troublesome thing for Jesus to say. That gives me something to explain that I can't hardly explain. Apparently God saves the people he's chosen to save according to the book of John, and we have it here. Let me just read this to you. Though he had done so many signs before them, they did, still did not believe him, so that the word spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Them not believing is a fulfillment of the word of God given hundreds of years beforehand. <laughs> and it's the scripture we just read. Isaiah 53. Lord, who has believed what he he heard from us, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Their unbelief is a fulfillment of that. But I'm afraid it's even a little bit worse than that in terms of being hard to figure out, hard to explain, because it says, therefore they could not believe. Here's something I don't like to think about anyone. They cannot believe. I want to think everyone could believe. I honestly, I can tell you, I wish this was not in the Word of God. But here it is plain as day. It really can't be any clearer than this. Therefore they could not believe. For again, Isaiah said, He has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn and I would heal them. That is a quotation from Isaiah chapter 6. You know the story of Isaiah chapter 6? You've heard it. Even if you don't recognize the reference. It's the story where Isaiah is caught up into the very presence of God in the heavenly temple. And there's this great display of the holiness of God. Sorry, I'm turning to it while I'm trying to talk at the same time. And in Isaiah chapter 6, that's what happened. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. There's the angels around. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And it's shaking the whole place and the smoke. And, and Isaiah's like, ah! Well, that, sorry for my bad acting. He was terrified out of his skin. And he says, Get me out of here. I can't be here. I cannot be. I cannot stand in the presence of a holy, righteous God. I am a sinner and I live among sinners. I am undone. In this place, the book of Hebrews says, you can march into, say whatever's on your mind, and receive a gracious welcome. Isaiah is scared out of his mind. He knows he does not belong there. Anyway, at the end of all this, he hears a voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send, who will go for us? Then I said, here am I, send me. And he said, go and say to this people, Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. The voice of the Lord says to Isaiah, Look, you're going to go preach to the people And your preaching is going to make them hard of hearing. (laughs) Well, here's something. I think we can learn from all this that the regular ordinary effect of the announcement of God's word, the preaching of the gospel, is rejection. The announcement of the gospel itself offends people. It is a full-on attack against our own self-absorption, self-importance. It is utterly opposed to what Adam and Eve decided for all of us in the garden, which was to go on our own, to be our own God, if you will, to idolize ourselves. And people don't hear that, they don't regard it as good news, even though it is, of course, the good news. The ordinary effect of the announcement of God's word to fallen people is unbelief. The book of Romans chapter 1 verse 18 says people suppress the truth in unrighteousness. We've all encountered the suppression of the truth. We've all engaged in the suppression of the truth. If I don't like what I'm hearing, I don't hear it. I just reject it. And nothing (laughs) that is not any more true of anything than it is of the gospel. You see, after Adam, we're all born blind, all born naturally resistant to the word of God. And the Word Himself, the Word made flesh, appears. And this was, should not surprise anyone who's read up to this point in the book of John. Right in the very first chapter, it says, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the one and only, the begotten, beloved one, Son of God. Then it says, right in that same context, he came to his own, and his own did not receive him. He is the Messiah of the people of Israel, and the people of Israel as a whole reject him. I could not believe. Now, here in John 12, the next thing we're told is that, yeah, but some people did. <laughs> some people believed. Even some important people. But they sort of hedged their bets. It says, nevertheless, many even of the authorities believed in him, but for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. They love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. So there's always this category in the middle when it comes to Jesus. They sort of like the idea of believing in Jesus, but not if it costs anything. Jesus talked about this in the parable of the sower. Remember, the seed falls on some ground, it springs up, but when it gets the hot sun, yeah, it doesn't stick. It doesn't stick. It doesn't keep growing. These guys are kind of like that. We don't know how these guys are going to turn out in the end. It could be after the resurrection. These people, and I assume some of them at least, will come to some kind of real, genuine faith in Christ that is not so concerned about their place in the synagogue. So most people don't believe, some people kind of believe, a few people really believe. Now here's the thing, it says in the middle of that, Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him. You see, one thing we ought to recognize about this bringing in Isaiah in, first of all, it's a response to the fact that the people were asking the question, what do you mean die? Those people were bringing Isaiah in. We think Messiah ought to last forever. And Jesus brings us the news from other chapters of Isaiah that there's actually good reason to think from the book of Isaiah that the Messiah needs to die. And what John says is Isaiah understood that, that the glory of God is wrapped up in The death and resurrection of Messiah. And you can't read 51, 52, 53 of Isaiah, at least with the hindsight we enjoy, and not see it. These folks did not see it. It was necessary for the glory of God in Christ, it was necessary. And you know that's what we've been talking about all these weeks, right? The thing that was the priority in Jesus' mind was to glorify God in Himself. And the path for that is death, resurrection, ascension, rule, return, rule. In in all of those things... Jesus brings glory to God, and he brings glory to God in his present life on earth when he does stuff like raise Lazarus from the dead, or when he merely speaks, speaking the very word of God, being the very word of God in his own person. But what Isaiah recognized was that this general rejection of Messiah by the nation of Israel was necessary for the glory of God. And we can see that because it is the thing that gets him killed. And if he isn't killed, you are not saved. If Jesus doesn't die, substitute, sacrifice, for me then I am still lost. So the glory of God in Christ and our salvation depend on this. They could not believe. I find it impossible to read the scriptures and not conclude that God is absolutely sovereign in every respect, including in our salvation. That my decision, which was a free, an exercise of my agency as a human being, a free choice that I made, took place in the context of his sovereign choice. The scripture says he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Jesus says right here in the book of John, you don't believe because you're not one of my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and they follow me. If you believe, you decided, no doubt about it, and it was a real choice, you decided to trust, put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. So I also would say this. The scripture could not be more clear. You have the opportunity to choose. Right here in this text, Jesus says, trust the light while it's here, lest you be overtaken by the darkness. He's announcing an opportunity, a real opportunity, that they could not take. Now... I'm in this mess now aren't I? I just said two things. One, you have free agency. You must decide what you will do with Jesus and the Lord God Almighty will hold you personally responsible for whatever you decide. And He will give you total access, reconciliation, redemption, eternal life, a place in the kingdom. All these things will be freely given to you along with everything else according to Romans. If he gave us his son, how will he withhold anything? And you will be co-heir with Christ all on the basis of God's grace and all on the basis of you making up your mind to put your faith in Jesus. which you cannot do. Because if he just leaves you as you are, you won't see it. You won't trust it. You will reject it. And so your salvation also depends on this. He chose us in Christ. Christ before the foundation of the world. Do you find this frustrating? It is an apparent conflict. There's no doubt. It's a dissonance. But I don't believe you can be a biblical Christian and not hold to both of those things. You can be a Christian, trust me. If you've decided to put your faith in Christ, whether you recognize any of this deeper theology or not, uh, you're a Christian. But if you want to be biblical, the Bible teaches both of these things. You are a responsible agent and God is absolutely sovereign. Now what this makes us is a thing called a compatibilist, but you didn't know it had a name. What that means is we believe uh, that people are free and that God is sovereign and that those two things do one way or another, those two things are both true, even if we cannot account for how they are both true. They are both so plainly proclaimed by the scriptures. By the way, we have this problem even if we don't believe in God. Is the, is the universe a deterministic place or a place where choices are real? And in philosophy, in theology, there are compatibilists, people who say yes to both. And in philosophy, there are people who say yes The the world is deterministic. I mean, where this this molecule's here because it bounced off that one and it couldn't have been anywhere else. And at the same time, we make choices that have a real effect on outcomes. (laughs) Well, now at least I've gotten you to share my frustration. But here's what we believe. We have the opportunity and whether I take the opportunity depends on the work of the Spirit in my heart. That's what we believe. It is necessary for the glory of God in Christ that this fulfillment of the word from Isaiah, which is, they could not believe. Now, Jesus comes to the last, his last word to the nation. At the end of this speech, Jesus and his disciples are going. This is the last thing he says to the nation of Israel. Let's just read it. Jesus cried out and said, Whoever believes in me, believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me, sees him who sent me. If I have come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I don't judge him. I do not judge him, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him. I'm not not judging him, but the word that I have spoken will judge him. (laughs) On the last day. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. That's kind of like saying what to say and how to say it. And I know that his commandment is eternal life what I say therefore I say as the father has told me period it's one final appeal Jesus says I'm the agent of the one who sent me he's been saying that all along right I mean we've heard this over and over he says I don't do anything say anything except what I see the Father doing, except what the Father gives me to do, except what He's doing. I never act independently from the Father. I always act in complete trust and faith in Him, His provision, and His direction. He says, I'm the agent of the one who sent me. He says, if you believe in me, you're really believing in Him because I'm only representing Him. If you see me, you're seeing him. He's going to say this again to the disciples in the upper room. The opportunity to escape darkness is standing here before you right here and right now. And if you reject this opportunity, I'm not here to judge you today. But these words I have spoken to you, my very presence as the incarnate word of God, that will certainly judge you. The word I have spoken will judge, and that will be the judgment of the Father God himself. My word is his word, Jesus says. He has given me a commandment what to say. Now, if it wasn't clear till now, it should be clear that Jesus is making a messianic claim. He's saying, this is it, everyone. My father has a commandment And then there's this remarkable statement. I know that his commandment is eternal life. Jesus is saying something about the stakes What is moving him forward? This mandate that he possesses, this royal decree from the God of gods. This mandate is eternal life. He is going to bring eternal life. And he is going to die to do it. And he is announcing beforehand, this is it, everyone. This is it. And the question is, who will believe? Who will see it? For what it really is. It is possible that when we preach the gospel, at any moment, <laughs> in the presence of the Word of God, people can be sorted. Some people may have heard it. It's possible for someone to grow up in a gospel preaching church and never, ever see it. Never ever believe. Always even pretend to believe and not really know what they're talking about. Like those guys. And then one day a miracle happens. And the spirit of the living God regenerates that person bringing them, as we read in chapter 3, the new birth. And suddenly, things they've known, now they see. And now, they cannot not believe. If you see Jesus for who he really is, well, you will trust yourself to Him. There, there isn't any other possibility. And so, when we are all born blind, when the Spirit, according to 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and 4, which we read last week, by the way, when the Spirit unblinds you, and you see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ our Lord, You were run over there. So the work of God is the mandate of eternal life. The work of Christ is the glory of God, which is achieved in bringing us into the reconciled fellowship of the living God, Father, Son, Spirit, and now, Body of Christ, Believers. And that is the thing we celebrate when we come to the communion table. Grace. Sovereign grace. There's lots and lots and lots of people all over the world who think, I get God's grace by drinking this juice and eating this bread. No, I proclaim God's grace to myself and to you and to anyone else. I proclaim God's grace by saying, it's for me. I'm having this. I'm still having this. And next month, I'm still having this and I don't bring anything here it's it's given it's given what if you were invited to someone's house for dinner I gave you a great meal you thought wow that was a fantastic meal thank you for that meal and you got out your wallet and you handed them a twenty dollar bill for the meal Well, now we know exactly what you think of the meal. And you've ruined the grace. We don't bring anything to God. It all comes from him. We participate in what he does in all kinds of service and sacrifice on our part, like Jesus. But we come to the table empty-handed, Empty handed, and we declare the glory of God in His provision for us, and we rest our souls in His grace. That's what we're doing.